0: This is the Pokedex Radio Podcast where you can learn to be the very best like no one ever was. Now, every Pokemon trainer knows that the best place to learn everything about Pokemon is to check their Pokedex. Now, this is where we talk about all things Pokemon from the video game to the anime and more. Learn how to be a Pokemon master at PokedexRadio.com. everyone and welcome to another episode of the pokedex radio podcast my name is austin i'm the host of this show Do want to thank you very much for downloading today's episode if you'd like to see the show notes for today's episode you can go ahead and over to uh pokedexradio.com slash 74 to see the show notes for it to see um a lot of the cool things we have coming up in today's uh, show uh, which i'll explain to you right now first of all we have uh Uh, an interview, uh, by Steven Reich of Pokepress. He interviews Ralph Shuckett, one of the, uh, composers from four kids productions. And I'm sure you know exactly what four kids is. He, uh, actually composed, um, the, uh, for the, uh, the music for the first three, uh, Pokemon movies, as well as a lot of the Pokemon animated series, the anime. Um, so we got that coming up later on in today's episode. So that's a lot of good stuff there. Um, before we get started with today's episode, I do want to let you know there is a, a bit of an issue with the Pokedex Radio Tournament thing. I don't want to call it an issue. I just want to let you guys know uh, the the bracket has changed since last week when I mentioned it on the episode. Uh, so those of you who are going by that, please don't. Um, if you want to see the actual bracket, go to PokedexRadio.com slash tournament and you'll see the bracket there. Currently, there are... Um, 12, 12, 15 people (laughs) right now, um, signed up to start in, to begin the Pokedex radio tournament. Um, there are seven round one battles. Um, and then there's somebody actually pushed up into round two. Uh, so let me go over those really quickly with you right now for round one, um, bracket a starts with Mayo and earth brown, fresh, um, Battle B will be Bob Joe 657 versus Colton. Battle C is Grim versus E-Dub Mora 74. Um, battles, uh, battle D is Josh T versus Sergio Blanco. Battle E is FRA 1311 versus Brandon 747. Round F is Smeargler versus Mr. Andersmith. And round G is Karen 86 versus Salty Sweets. Round two, he was pushed up, is Swizzy. Uh, I believe his name is Ryan as well. So um, he was pushed up because there's an odd number, so pushed up to round two. So whoever wins between the Mayo uh, between Mayo and Earthbound Fresh will battle Swizzy in round two. So Morris seventy four actually emailed me over this past week with a bit of an, a bit of an issue. I'm not sure exactly who he battled. Um, uh, be sure you uh, th- just because I didn't have time to watch the uh, watch his uh, his uh, battle yet, but. Once you actually complete your battles, please, everyone who is participant in that battle, send your, um, send the videos over to Jay on the Pokedex Radio forums. He is the official, um, referee for the Pokedex Radio tournament that we're having right now. Um, just because he'll. He's more into figuring out what's going on. He's the one who set all this stuff up for me. He's the official referee. If you want to send it to me as well, go ahead. I don't mind. I'm sure he'll go over them with me as well. Um, but send all of your stuff over to Jay uh, over on the Pokedex radio forums. That's J-A-Y-E. So uh, send them over to him and uh, so he can go ahead and figure out who won um, and uh, who to push on to the next round. Again, those battles are, uh, Mayo versus Earth- Earthbound Fresh, Bob Joe's 657 versus Colton, and M versus Morris 74 Josh T versus Sergio Blanco, FRA1311 versus Brandon747, Smeargler versus Mr. Andersmith, and Karen86 versus Salty Sweets. and Swizzy has been pushed up to round two because there's an odd number of people, so good for you, Swizzy. <laughs> already in round two. Already made it. Um, but let's, uh, uh, let me just let you know, again, please send all of, your, uh, all of the videos for the battles, both round one, round two, and if there's a round three, if you guys were tied after round one and two, send all three battles, uh, battle videos from the versus recorder over to Jay. If you'd like to send them to me as well, go ahead, and send them to me too. That's fine. Primarily send them to Jay so he can go and watch those battles and figure out who to push up um, in, uh, in the bracket here uh if there are any issues i EW Moore more actually sent me an email that there might have been a bit of an issue with uh with his battle you got to be using the exact same pokemon for each and every round that you uh, through the uh through the set that you're battling against the other person with don't use different pokemon use the same pokemon you started with this is the general rules of battling um don't switch out six pokemon per battle you know how it is don't switch stuff out the, uh, the Pokemon you started with should be the Pokemon you play all three or sometimes two, depending if you win both battles with out of a match. Best two out of three, send them over to Jay. He'll figure it out from his side. He'll go ahead and contact me as well, I'm sure, to uh, if, if there are any issues or anything like that. If you do have any issues, send them to, uh, to Jay and Jay will contact me about it. Um, if it's just something that you really have a, a serious issue with let me know so then i can talk to jay about it and we'll figure it out from there so again like i mentioned last week guys good luck with the pokedex radio tournament it officially starts tomorrow uh february 9th guys you have one week if there's a girl there i'm not sure but everybody you have one week to go ahead and battle your um to to battle your other person thing um you have one week uh, and We'll go ahead and we'll figure out who's the winner of where, and then we'll go ahead and we'll start round two next week. So I'm excited. Let's see who becomes the champion of the Pokedex radio. Um so let's uh let's move on from that. So if you have any questions, feel free to email me. If free, uh, feel free to go ahead and message Jay over there on the forums. You can also message me on the forums as well, or you could always email me to feedback at Pokedexradio.com if you have any issues or anything like that. Now, I know some of you already know but I'm super excited to finally announce the Pokemon bank is finally available around the world. Now it was available back in, July, in uh, January for, um, uh, the, the Asian, uh, Nintendo eShop store thing. So it was available then for them. And now during this past week, this past seven days, it's become available for Australia and Europe. And then now it's available for North America as well. And that includes the United States and Canada, all this side. Um, finally, I am extremely excited to finally see it come out. I haven't been able to actually, um, uh, mess around with it myself. I haven't even turned on my Nintendo 3ds in like two months, but I'm going to go ahead and download it as soon as I can. There is a free 30 day trial. As most of you should already know, I've mentioned it so many times previously in, in, in this podcast. Um, there is the three, uh, free uh, the free thirty day trial. It ends on March fourteenth, two thousand fourteen. Um, the Celebi download is still available when you go ahead and uh, get your copy of um, the Pokemon Bank. Uh, the Pokemon Bank is still the same prices like it was before. I think it was four ninety nine US. Uh, I believe it's uh, six fifty uh, Australian. I think it's um, f- about four or five pounds. I think euros is about the same thing. About four or five. That's a yearly subscription guys. It's not that much uh money. If you want to use it uh use their um use the Pokemon Bank as a storage system to store extra Pokemon, definitely something to look into. It's not that much money. I'm definitely going to go going to go ahead and invest in it myself. It's only $5 for storing up to I think it says I think it's 3000 Pokemon. Um definitely something to look into. Definitely something to go ahead and download, check it out if you haven't. If anything, at least get the free one. For now, transfer all your stuff over from Black, White, Black 2, and White 2, get the Celebi, and then you're good. Um, but then again, you have like a month to do that. Uh, again, uh, March 14th is the cutoff date for that uh free trial. Um, now, before we get into the interview that um, uh, Stephen Reich of PokePress did with uh, Ralph Shuckett, I want to do the Pokemon of the episode first, so the, the ending of the show can be this awesome interview. I think it's about 22 minutes. Um so let's get into the Pokemon of the episode.
1: Who is that Pokemon?
0: The Pokemon of the episode today is Pokemon number six hundred and seventeen, a Now Acelgor is a very interesting and weird Pokemon. Uh is classified as the Shell Out Pokemon, and I'll explain why it's called that in a little bit. Uh it is bug type. Um it stands at about 2 feet 7 inches tall, uh, which is uh, .8 meters, um, weighs about 55 pounds, which is about 25 kilograms. Uh, like I said, it's cl- uh, classified as the shell-out Pokemon. Um, it evolves from a Pokemon called Shelmet, uh, which is known as the snail Pokemon. Now, Shelmet can be found on uh, Route 14 and Route 19 in Pokemon X and Y. A Selgore can only be obtained through trading, And I'll explain that in a minute after we go over uh, the abilities of both Shelmet and Acelgor. Now, Shelmet has um, different abilities compared to Aselgore. Let's go over Shelmet's abilities first. Um, They share the ability Hydration. Uh, shell armor is different and so is its hidden ability overcoat so what hydration does this is for shellmit only for uh, at first hydration all status problems like burn paralysis sleep frozen and poison are healed when it's raining a very nice ability uh second ability is called shell armor uh the opponent's moves cannot critical hit critical hit and this is for shellmit as well uh, so this is just for shellmit so far Uh, And Shelmet's hidden ability is called Overcoat. Uh, Protects the Pokemon from weather effects and powder moves like Sleep Powder, Poison Powder, other things like that. Those are very good abilities. Now let's talk about a Selgore. A also has the ability Hydration. It also has the ability Sticky Hold that it could have, or the hidden ability Unburden. Uh, Again, Hydration is all status problems like Burn, Paralysis, Sleep, Frozen, and Poison are healed when raining. Very nice ability. Its second ability it could have is Sticky Hold. The Pokemon's item cannot be taken. And its hidden ability is Unburden. Unburden, what it does is speed is doubled once the held item is consumed. And that is a very good ability for a Selgor, and we'll go over its stats and explain why. Um, but let me uh, let me first explain to you how to evolve Shelmet into a Selgor, because it's kinda different. It's it's not a traditional Type of evolution, like a leveling up. It's not a stone evolution. It is a trade evolution, but in its own type of thing. And let me, let me just explain that to you. Uh, in order to evolve Shelmet, you have to trade it, okay? Um, but simply trading Shelmet with somebody else will not allow it to evolve into an Acelgor. You have to trade with somebody who's also trading you a Carablast, and these are both Generation Five Pokemon that can be found in the Unova region, um, or both. Originally from the Unova region, of course, they're also found in X and Y too. Um, but uh, you must trade Shelmet with somebody who is trading you a Carablast in order for it to evolve. Uh, the same thing for Carablast as well. You must trade somebody who is trading you a Shelmet in order for Carablast to evolve. Um, and one of the reasons why, I'd s- why I mentioned before that it's called a shell out Pokemon is because when you're trading Shelmet and Carablast, Carablast Technically sort of steals Shellmet's shell uh during the trading process. That's why Carablast evolves into a Scavalier and Shellmet evolves into a Selgor, which does not have a shell anymore, but a Scavalier does. Very interesting type of thing. Um and in doing so, in trading its shell, now let's start going over its EVs, in trading its shell, it becomes extremely in when trading, after Carablast takes the shell, um a becomes extremely fast. It is the fastest Pokemon in the Generation 5 games from the Unova region. So let's go over Shellmitz um base stats first, then we'll go over Acelgor, just because they are different in a way, and I'll explain why. Um Shelmett's base stats is HP fifty, attack forty, defense eighty-five, special attack forty, special defense sixty-five, and speed of twenty-five. It's a very, very slow Pokemon, but pay attention to its defenses. Special defense is 65 and its defense is, um, 85. Uh, so now let's go over, uh, a base stats, HP of 80 attack, 70 defense, 40 special attack, 100 special defense, 60, and a speed of 145 extremely fast Pokemon, um, now, again, comparing Shellmitz defense uh, uh, compared to uh, a Selgor's defense, um, Shellmit's is 85 and a Selgor's is 40. A very big drop in defense, uh, but they, you do get that gigantic speed boost because it does it's not being weighed down by um, its shell anymore. Uh, and Shelmett's, uh special defense is 65 gets a little bit lower to 60 when it evolves into a Selgor uh, but then again, like everything else, raises and its speed is just off the charts, and that's why I mentioned before that it's hidden uh, that Selgore's hidden ability Unburden speed is doubled once the held item is consumed, makes it an extremely fast Pokemon. Um, something that I would definitely like to uh, to check out and use, but don't have anybody to trade a Carablast with, uh, nor do I think I even own uh, a Shelmet at all. But very cool Pokemon a very fast Pokemon. I think it was even featured in one of the episodes of Pokemon. It was either an episode or a movie. I can't really remember. All I remember was it was battling against that um, snowflake-looking Pokemon thing. Um, I think it was a movie. I think it was an episode. I can't remember. Either way, that is the Pokemon of the episode today, Pokemon number 617, Aselgore. Now, before we start the interview with uh that with steven reich interviewing uh ralph shuckett i just want to let you know how you can support the podcast i'm not going to do it over music like i usually do i'm just going to tell you very quickly if you'd like to support the pokedex radio uh not only the podcast but the website everything that goes on with pokedex radio you could always uh either donate there's a donate button on the site um or you can just go to pokedexradio.com slash donate or you can uh, go and shop on Amazon and still support the show. And I'll tell you how you can do that. You can either go to pokedexradio.com slash store, which is a store comp- uh, that I've put together through Amazon and it has Pokemon merchandise like video games has um, a video game, uh, Pokemon video games, uh, the video game guides for these, po- for these other Pokemon games, Nintendo games, all, all the, uh, a lot of the consoles that are out right now, including the, the Nintendo Wii U and the Wii mini, which is the newer one. Um, And tons of other things, Pokemon plushies, the Pokemon movies, anything you can think of related to Pokemon, I've tried to put there on the Amazon, uh, on the Pokedex Radio Amazon store. Again, that is pokedexradio.com slash store. Or if you don't see anything you like there, you can always go to pokedexradio.com slash Amazon, and that takes you straight to the front page of Amazon. And what what I need you to do is bookmark that link, pokedexradio.com slash Amazon. So every single time. You go to Amazon, use that link, and just buy whatever you want on Amazon, whatever it is you shop for. It can be video game stuff, it can be clothing, it could be food. I think they sell food on Amazon, right? Whatever you want to buy on Amazon, use the link, pokedexradio.com slash Amazon. Use that URL, and it'll help support the show. You can still buy whatever you want on Amazon. Unfortunately, no, it doesn't give you a discount or anything, but it's a win-win situation. You're going to shop on Amazon anyways. Why not help support the podcast? by doing that using the url pokedexradio.com/amazon now as well you could also uh, download a free audiobook from audible you can use the url pokedexradio.com/audible trial now there are links for all of this in the show notes for audible you get a free download of any audiobook that they have available. And they have so many books. They have over 100,000 titles that you can choose from. They have fiction, nonfiction, periodicals, just anything you can think of, they would more than likely have there. They have so many books. They have like, I'm not a fan of the Twilight series, but they have all of those. Harry Potter I was into, they have all of those. They have books I've never even heard of, uh, books in other languages, things like that. Again, that's PokedexRadio.com slash Audible Trial. They give you a free 30-day trial to check out their service along with a free book that you can download and keep for forever if you want to. And just like a lot of other services where you can, like Netflix and Hulu and stuff like that, where you go to that service, um, sign up, and then they start charging you after the 30 days. If you cancel your subscription before the 30 days, they let you keep your book and you don't have to pay I think it's like $15 a month for them, like, like Amazon, like uh, not Amazon, but like uh, Netflix's and things like that. I think it's like $8 a month for Netflix. You get to keep the book for free. You can listen to it on your phone, on your computer, on your tablet, wherever you have their, their app You can listen to your, uh, you can listen to your book that you've downloaded forever. They let, they allow you to keep it and you can cancel your service with them and it'll still help support the podcast. All win-win stuff over here. Again, all those links are pokedexradio.com slash store, pokedexradio.com slash Amazon, and pokedexradio.com slash Audible Trial. I really do want to thank all of you trainers for helping support the show um, by doing all you do, buying stuff on Amazon, uh, and even donating as well. Again, it's pokedexradio.com slash donate to help support the show by donating a few dollars whatever you think, uh, you can uh, go ahead and help us by donating a few dollars, whatever you think I deserve, whatever you can do to help me out. I would really appreciate trainers. So now let's get into the interview by Steven Reich of Poke Press, who interviewed Ralph Shuckett. Now this is a great interview. Now I'm gonna go ahead and play it. I'm going to stand by over here and just listen while you listen and I'll do a little commenting afterwards and we're going to end the show after that. So trainers, I do want to, um, Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If I don't say that later on, Uh, just so you just so you know, you can go ahead and find the links to uh, Steve Reich's uh, Stephen Reich's um, YouTube channel, which is called PokePress and his uh, Pokedex. uh, I'm sorry, uh, Pokemon International Radio Network. Um, He has like a live um, radio show thing. Uh, over on uh, dot com, You can find the links to all that in the show notes over at pokedexradio.com slash 74 to his YouTube channel. He's got a lot of good interviews. there. very, very good interviews. I'm actually kind of jealous of some of the interviews that he has over there. So go ahead and check those out. Check out his YouTube channel check out his website. Very cool stuff over there. And I just, I'm glad I'm able to go ahead and feature something like this on the pokedex radio podcast. Um, uh, first of all, I just want to go ahead and thank Steven Reich for reaching out to me uh, for featuring uh, to go ahead and feature something like this on the Pokedex radio. Many thanks to to you, Steven. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, let's commence with this interview, and I'll see you guys on the other side.
1: Hi, I'm Steven Reich from the PokePress PR and Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm on the phone with Ralph Shuckett, who uh, was involved for much of the first eight seasons of the Pokemon uh, TV show, uh, but in particular, he did the dub scores for the first three Pokemon movies. Uh, but before we get into that, Ralph, uh, first of all, uh, how did you get into music? Uh, growing up, uh, did you play any instruments, or uh, how did that
2: work out? Well, we, my, my parents played a lot of music in the house, and uh, we had a piano, and I have an older sister who listened to music pretty much twenty four seven so I was exposed to all different kinds of music and I'm told that even when I was I don't know a toddler or maybe a year and a half two years old i would you know I would sit in front of the um, the stereo and just kind of rock back and forth to the music uh, and then um so I started messing around with the piano um my parents gave me got found me piano teachers and I took lessons for a few very short periods and none of the teacher I was totally bored and didn't enjoy it at all but I like to um, sit at the piano and make up my own stuff so I just messed around by myself and then when I got into high school uh, there were other musicians in, uh, who went to school with me and they knew that I played a little and so they, they asked me to join their bands. So I was in like, I think, three or four different bands when I was in high school and that's when I really started sort of taking notice of of uh, my playing and of songwriting and stuff like that. Um, I had always enjoyed music and I had always you made up music and heard it in my head, but that was the first time I really sort of did anything with it. And um, I started to listen music to music in a more analytical way, so I could figure out what everyone was doing, that whose music I liked, so I could try and play, figure out how to play what they were playing, and I would take apart the um, the arrangements, and I'd focus on, gee, what's the bass player doing? What's the drummer doing? What's the guitar player doing? Um, and I really just trained my ear, I guess, uh, I trained myself. And I saw that I could pick out, eventually, pick out chords and pick out melodies and all these different parts. And um, then I started writing music for my bands. Or if we were doing covers, um, I was the i ended up being the arranger kind of of the covers because I had all these ideas on how to do them. And and the other guys were just pretty much copying the record. And so I started, you know, suggesting, why don't you play this, and then, you know, I'll play this part, and the drums will do this. And so I always had kind of a composer, arranger point of view.
1: And then uh, when, once you, uh, you know, got out of high school, uh, graduated, you started to become a professional musician. Uh, what was that like?
2: Well, it was amazing. Uh, I was still playing in various bands, and the caliber of the bands kept improving, And uh, a girl I went to high school with told me about this band that was signed to Elector Records, a band called Clear Light, um, and they were produced by the same guy who produced The Doors and Janis Joplin, this guy Paul Paul Rothschild, and they were signed to the same label as The Doors, and um, they were looking for another guy um, because their guitar player had quit. And they'd never thought about a keyboard player, but my, the, the, my ex-girlfriend kind of talked them into you know, auditioning me. And uh, so I went to audition for Clear Light and they liked me and I joined the band. And from then it was sort of a snowball because then I got to learn more about what, what it was like being a professional and being in a recording studio and, you know, writing songs and touring and, uh, I just would meet people it wasn't even at the beginning really deliberate networking i just happened to be in the right place at the right time i'd meet all these various people who were in the business and one thing sort of led to to another and um, eventually i guess from word of mouth i started getting recommended to play on recording sessions uh, play keyboards piano or organ and the most prominent ones at that time were um I play. I was in Carol King's band, and I played with her and James Taylor um, for about two or three years. Um, and we did—I think I did three tours with them: two of the United States and one of Europe. And then, you know, the people in those band who played with them were on a much higher level um and then they got me gigs and they were recommending me for other things and you know working with carol king and james taylor these two amazing songwriters um you know i just learned so much from them and i had so much concert experience and you know just snowballed and then um i guess in 1972 I can't even remember... Oh, I moved to New York in 1972. I, I was in—I was living in Los Angeles where I grew, grew up. And I moved to uh, New York in 1972. And I didn't really know anybody. I had one friend who was a musician. He introduced me to a bunch of people. And then I started all of a sudden... I, I joined his band. And then all of a sudden, I started playing on a lot of record dates in New York. And... Um, I just got busier and busier, and uh you know i had a, I, I had a profession as a composer
1: and one of the people you um you met along the way was a a man that uh, a name is to be pretty familiar to uh uh frequent listeners is uh john Siegler now how did you meet him
2: well actually john siegler john Siegler when i moved to new york he 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 grew up in the same town as my one friend and um which is great neck new york and there's just i don't know tons of well-known musicians and r- record executives who grew up in great neck so i met john and um and john was in the band uh, the, in the band that my my friend was moogie Klingman and, and the band was called moogie and the rhythm kings john was the bass player and john and i were roommates and we got to be best friends and then the person, actually, that I met was John Leffler, who uh somebody recommended me to him. And he was a songwriter, and he produced TV commercials. And he and I were writing partners. And he was the one who originally was the contact to do Pokemon. And at that time, I had just moved back to L.A., and so he needed another. uh John Leffler was looking... For another partner to co-produce with and co-write with, and I recommended John Siegler, and he and John Siegler ended up having a long and fruitful relationship as songwriters, co-producers, and that's how John uh, Siegler got involved in Pokemon as a music supervisor, <clears throat> and as a collaborator with John Leffler. But John Leffler was the guy who first, you know, got us the work. Um, I can't remember how he did it, but. He met somebody at 4Kids Productions, and he ended up being a music supervisor for all their shows. And the first one was Pokemon. So, when it came, he called me, um, I guess it was probably about a year before the movie. So, it must have been maybe 1998.
1: Uh, yeah, 98 is, uh, would have been a year, because the movie debuted in U.S. theaters in 1999.
2: Yeah, so he called me um, and asked me if I wanted to do the music for this new TV show he was working on called Pokemon. And um, he said, I'm kind of embarrassed to ask you this, though, because I don't have a budget, but it's a tremendous opportunity for you. Um, and, you know, you, you could really pretty much write whatever music you wanted, and it's great experience, and it's great exposure, and You'll get royalties from it, but I can't pay you anything up front. And at the time, you know, I had a fam, a young family, <clears throat> and I just couldn't afford to do any work for free. Even though the back end, um, meaning the performance royalties, ended up being a huge financial success. Um, it was a big gamble. I mean, John and John Siegler and nobody involved, none of the music people involved with the show had any idea that it would be as big as it was. So I turned it down, and uh, I recommended a couple other people for it, and they ended up doing um, the music for the TV show. And then um, when they decided to make a movie, um for some reason, uh, so Norman Grossfeld, who is the head writer and producer of all the Pokemon stuff and many of many other Four Kids Productions, John Fe- John Leffler called me, and and it turned out that Norman didn't think the other two composers' music was um, cinematic enough, um, and I'm not sure what he meant by that because they're both really great composers, but. Um, he wasn't satisfied with what they did, so he didn't want them to do the movie. And the guy had—I uh, don't know—maybe a hundred CDs of well-known film composers on his desk, um, and he was trying to figure out which one to hire. And John Lefler talked me up in a big way, and said, "You know, this guy Ralph is really great, and he'll just kill it, and you'll love him, and he's—you know." But I didn't really have much film music to speak of. I, John and I had done a lot of music for television, um, and we'd written theme songs to a couple of TV shows, but there was no serious orchestral um, action and emotional music um, on my reel. So Norman said, well, do you mind, how about if I give you a 10-minute cue and you write 10 minutes of music for it? And I can't pay you, but it's your audition, and then if I like it, i 'll hire you. So that I, that I was prepared to do, and Norman loved it. so I became with John Lether, the composer of the movie.
1: So you had been signed on to do you know the the dub score of the first movie, and uh, basically, you know you had to come up with an overall uh, style for it, and as well as a couple character themes. Uh, where did those come from?
2: <clears throat> well, John had seen the movie probably 10 or 12 times before I did. So he had a lot of thoughts about it. And so I flew to New York to spot the movie with Norman Grossfeld and John, John Luther. And so we watched the movie, and every time there was a new character, uh, Norman would stop the movie, and he'd explain, this character needs a theme, and this is sort of the personality of this character. And so he would explain kind of what he wanted. Um, And some of the stuff he didn't have an opinion about. He would just say, this guy needs a theme. I, I, you know, give me something. I'm not sure what I want. And so we went through the whole movie, and there were also a couple of themes that were like, I think there was a battle theme, and there's a like a losing battle theme, and a winning battle theme. And there were some various themes for different types of action. So then John Leffler and I watched the movie a few times and then we just sat in a room and we came up with these themes that Norman had, you know, requested. And then we played them for him and he liked them. And then the next step was for me to orchestrate the movie for an orchestra. And, uh, it was a real harrowing time because there was very little time to do it Four kids productions, all their shows they do very quickly. And, so when it gets down to doing the music, which is the last thing they do, there's no time, you know. <laughs> so um, it was a big kind of high-pressure situ- situation, and um, <clears throat> John sort of locked me in this room at Rave Music, which was John's company. And I had all these themes, and I had um, a video of the movie, and with Norman, we spotted every cue, and a cue a is... is a certain sequence in the movie and um so then i would just i take took the themes and i started orchestrating um the music uh in a, you know with a computer doing doing it on midi i had several midi keyboards and i did a mock up score and every time i finished a clump of cues um john and i would play them for norman and he would he might have a rewrite idea but most of them he just said okay i like that and, um, it was a whole, it was, I guess, I don't know, I think it was about six weeks that I had, and I had to hire, I had never done a music of that length and scope. So I was kind of a, pretty innocent as to the procedure. And after I got maybe halfway through, after the third week, it became very apparent that I didn't have time to orchestrate the entire movie. So we had to hire some orchestrators, slash composers, slash programmers to help me complete uh, the movie. And so, basically, they they listened to my style, which was based on Norman Grossfeld's taste. Really, what he was looking for that John and I interpreted, <clears throat> because I would bring him. We would bring him a cue. And he'd say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not getting an emotional thrill or I'm not getting the pathos in this scene. I'm not getting the feeling of triumph. I'm not, it's not, it's boring. It's not, it's not action. A lot of the action music we wrote had, you know, really cool contemporary drum beats and synthesizers and, and a lot of what contemporary action movie was at the time and still is. But Norman didn't want that. He wanted classical, almost like um, overly emotional music, let's say that was written like films from the 30s and 40s where the music is just really, really emotional. And, and many people in contemporary film writing would think it was corny and out of date. Uh But Norman really, he really wanted that type of feeling. So after couple of weeks of working with Norman I you know, finally I got what he was looking for and then, you know, I, I got a couple of orchestrators in to help me and um, I played them the cues that were approved by Norman so they could see what the style was and then I put them to work and i usually I'd map out a cue, I'd map out the themes, I'd do sort of a broad strokes arrangement and um, and they did all the filling in. You know, they made it sound really good because they were all great orchestrators. They were all very, very well schooled and classically trained, and had a lot of experience doing films. And then we did the orchestral day, and it was a success. The entire movie is not a live orchestra. It's probably about half and half. Half of the music is done uh, with MIDI samples, orchestral samples. And the other half is done with a live orchestra because there was just no budget to do the entire score and no time to do the entire score for a live orchestra. So the whole thing was kind of a roller coaster ride where I didn't get any sleep for six weeks and it was a real rush and, but at the same time it was, it was really exciting. It was kind of, uh, anxiety provoking, but at the same time it was it was cha- a good challenge and an educational experience. And then we, when when all the music was done, then we did the final mix for the film, and the film came out. And uh, by that time, the show was huge, um, which none of us expected. In fact, there wouldn't have been a movie if the show hadn't been successful. It was it was just a really big thing. And John Lefler and I went to the premiere in at, in L.A. at the Grauman's Chinese Theater. And uh, it was packed, and it was it was a big deal, and there was a lot of press. And the Pokemon movie ended up being an enormously popular, successful feature film.
1: And since the first movie was, you know, very successful, um, it obviously they brought over the you know the next movie, 2000, uh, the following year. Um, how did you get uh, contacted to come on again for that one?
2: Well, just you know. We had a good thing going for the first one, so, you know, Norman decided to have us do the second one, and I was the sole composer on that one because John Leffler is, he's kind of a broad strokes, you know, overview guy. He gets really bored with the details. He's always got several projects going, and so he's more of a, he plays an executive producer role. And so I became the, the only composer because John didn't really have time to sit there with me and go to every spotting meeting and have every meeting with Norman.
1: So you had been chosen, and you were going to do the, the score for the second movie. Uh, first of all, what was the overall uh, sort of feel you are going for? It definitely, to me, has a, a very maritime feel. Uh, how did you go about doing that in the score?
2: Well, Norman wanted... <clears throat> I don't even think the word maritime or nautical or you know ocean. I don't even think that particular description was ever given. Although, obviously, the character and all the most of the action takes place um, on the ocean. Um, Norman wanted a theme that was kind of a timeless, um, almost like a folk melody, um, meaning it wasn't from any particular period of time. And and the whole thing was the legend. I guess uh Lugia, if I remember correctly, was a legendary character at first.
1: Yeah, more so than like the movies always focus on legendary Pokemon, but Lugia specifically had, um, unlike the first movie, uh, an actual legend associated with
2: it. Right. So Norman wanted a legend. The legend theme, kind of like a simple, timeless heroic theme that's almost like a folk melody or like an irish folk song to be honest i can't even remember the entire theme but if i remember correctly um it's pentatonic music meaning um there's only five notes in the scale and if you listen to a lot of uh, ancient irish music and the same is true of um pretty much uh, native music from all over the world, whether it be Native Americans or Africans or Asians, it's all pentatonic music, so that's what that theme ended up being, and so it has sort of a primitive feeling, too, which goes along with the ancient Irish tribes and goes along with the timelessness and the sort of legendary status of Lugia, And so that was kind of what our direction was. And um, so I, I, you know, wrote the theme. I think, I can't remember, but John Leffler might have written that theme with me. I think he did.
1: And yeah, and that theme is used, you know, throughout the movie. And uh, it, obviously, it, it starts at the beginning, comes in at various points, and it sort of culminates in the end, uh, in that big scene where you know the world is set back uh, into balance. And then in the end credits, you have uh, Donna Summer doing um, "The Power of One," which borrows. Just to be c- clear, the um, melody came from the score, and then was brought into the "Power of One" song at the end. Um, what was that like hearing it? transformed like that into uh, an actual vocal song what was that like
2: um <clears throat> you know I, I don't remember the actual moment that i heard it so um I, I don't remember my first reaction but i'm sure i loved it i mean i'm a big donna summer fan you know i probably i probably to be honest i probably thought Hey, we could have written a song as good as that or better or something, you know, because we were, you know, John and I were very competitive. You know, we wanted to do everything. (laughs) So, uh, but there was, there just was no time, you know. At that time in my life, I was kind of like maybe sort of arrogant. So, but to be honest, I don't remember. That's just a guess. (laughs) Now I'm a lot more, a lot humbler. (laughs) So
0: that is it for that interview. Lots of good stuff. I really, really enjoy that interview, guys. Um, I just a few things I wanted to point out before we end the show here. He mentioned that uh, um, Ralph Shuckett said that he, the, the music from the first Pokemon movie would have seemed corny just because it was such a classical type of thing like that. That blew my mind, guys. You have no idea. The music was not corny at all. At least that's not how I felt. I love listening to the first Pokemon, uh, the score, the soundtrack, whatever you want to call it. Um, not the soundtrack, like the with like the... In sync and stuff like that, all that music there, not a big fan of that, ty- that kind of stuff, but the soundtrack all the classical music, amazing stuff, guys, like, I don't know how anybody could have thought that music was corny at all, he also mentioned that there would not have been a movie if the show wasn't successful, I'm so glad the show was successful, I mean, come on, it's been n- close, uh, you know, 15 years now since the show came out, maybe more, maybe a little bit less, I'm not good at math, but, I mean, come on, it's been such a long time, the show has been so successful, and I'm glad uh, that, that, that it has been, or else we wouldn't have gotten all these great Pokemon movies as well on top of the show, plus the video games, plus everything else we have with Pokemon. I mean, come on, guys. This stuff is really good stuff. Um, he even said he had to be rushed uh, during the uh, uh, composition of the first Pokemon movie, sound, uh, the theme music for that movie. Uh, six weeks of no sleep definitely paid off in the end. It really, really did. As well, he was talking about the second Pokemon movie, how the music was supposed to be kind of timeless, um, kind of like a folk uh, legend type of thing. Definitely, you know, hit that mark there with the whole legendary stuff. Amazing, amazing interview. Um, I just, uh, first of all, just want to go ahead and thank uh, Steven Reich for approaching me for to go ahead and put this up on the Pokedex radio. Um, I thought this was an amazing interview with somebody who definitely had a big influence. On a lot of our lives, especially a lot of us who were younger at the time. I was only uh, 9 years old, 10 years old when the, when the first movie came out. I think it was like 9. Um, definitely huge influence on my life, all these three movies, including all of the other Pokemon movies and just the Pokemon franchise in general. So I just want to thank him uh, for going ahead and approaching me with that. So trainers, that's it for today's episode. If you'd like to go ahead, uh, see the show notes for all of this, go over to pokedexradio.com slash uh, 74 to check out everything else out there. Uh, if you'd like to go ahead and support the show, don't forget the uh, the URLs that I mentioned to you before. They are in the show notes, but just again, that's pokedexradio.com slash store, pokedexradio.com slash Amazon, and bookmark that one. Um, as well, pokedexradio.com slash audible trial, and pokedexradio.com slash donate. Whatever you feel I deserve please go ahead and help support the show and the website in that way. So thank you so much for downloading and listening trainers. Uh, just want to give a quick shout out to everybody who helps out with the show. Craig over on the Facebook, uh, the smiling giraffe rig, uh, uh, Griminem and Dre, who all write for me. I want to thank everybody, including you who are listening right now for downloading today's episode, but that's it for the show right now. Uh, that, yeah, that's it. My name is Austin letting you know to live, laugh, and catch them all and I'll see you next week. This podcast is a Flashlight Studios production. Copyright 2014, Flashlight Studios. For more information, you can visit us at flashlight-studios.com or for the Pokedex Radio at pokedexradio.com. And thank you for listening.